Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everybody. I am James Clemen, the Managing Editor at HW Media, and we're here with the latest installment of the Housing Wire Daily Podcast, where our editors and reporters discuss the most compelling stories and sources they are covering. Today, my guest is, of course, Georgia Cromry, and she is here to talk about all the happenings in the federal beat. But before we dive in, here is a quick word from our sponsor. Since 2015, Finance of America Mortgage and their skilled, award-winning mortgage advisors have helped over 450,000 customers, closing more than $134 billion in loan volume. Licensed in all 50 states, plus Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands, Finance of America Mortgage is backed by best-in-class lending technology and a wide range of innovative mortgage products that can help turn any borrower into a customer for life. Want to join an award-winning team and evaluate your business? Visit www.joinfamtoday.com forward slash housing wire to learn more. Finance of America Mortgage LLC is licensed nationwide. Equal housing opportunity. NMLS ID number 1771. www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Equal opportunity employer. Georgia, hello. Welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. All right. So we got a lot to get through today. We we know there's been um, more happenings going on at Fannie Mae, but I also wanted to talk a little bit about what the White House has been up to regarding the action plans for racial equity. I remember it, it must have been in, in the early days of the Biden administration that they, they made this a priority. They said, we are we are going to um, really focus on um, giving giving people a fairer stake. And I guess now that that cake is sort of baked, right? So so tell me, what did the Biden administration do last week? What What are these action plans for racial equity? Yeah, so um, so the action plans are a response to the um, the executive order that um, that Biden put out. I think it was it was on the first day of of his administration or the, or the first week, very early on in his administration. Um, and and each of this this was supposed to be you know a whole of government response to doing something um, to further racial equity. So this is the first time that these federal agencies have put out. Um, um, equity action plans, um, and uh, observers and insiders, lobbyists were um, were you know not not really surprised to see that the um, that the federal agencies that were highlighted were um, uh, mostly cabinet level agencies, and you know as pertains to housing, that was. Um, that HUD, HUD was was very um, was very prominent in the um, in the equity plans, but um, you know I would say that the content of the um, of the equity action plans was pretty um, was pretty light in terms of action or at least in terms of new action. Um, so the the action plan from from HUD really highlighted um, some things that it has either already done. Or are potential things that could happen in the future, but are but are definitely not a given. So an, an example of that is is they um, they highlighted um, potential future increases to funding, which um, which HUD has said it, it desperately needs. 
Um, and, and, um, you know, just looking at like the staffing levels for, um, for the department over the years, it's, it's been, um, declining dramatically for many years. Um, and, and HUD has said it, it doesn't even have enough, um, enough staff to keep up with how many fair housing complaints it gets. And, and HUD is the agency that is primarily tasked with enforcing the, the Fair Housing Act. So that's, you know, that's a really big deal. But that funding, it it would it would increase um, it would increase the amount that um, that that HUD gets for salary and expenses, but it wouldn't allow it to, for example, have enough full time employees um, to exceed how many it had 20 years ago. It would it, it would still be you know way below levels that um, that that it had um, in 2000. You know, so so that's a that's a, a little um, disheartening. I think if you're looking at it, you know, from the from the point of view of is this you know is this a transformational equity action? plan. Right. Or does this even move the needle given given a lot of the dysfunction that happens at, at many of these agencies through historic um, you know, levels of uh, decreases in funding and, and a mismatch of political priorities? It's uh, going to be a difficult question for any of them to answer, I think. Right, right. And there, there are, um, you know, there are, um, some other substantive things in the, um, in the action plan and some things that I hope we get some more information on. There was a, um, there was one, one line kind of buried deep in, um, in the action plan from HUD that said, um, the department would try to, uh, improve asset and credit building for renters, um, who are looking to become homeowners. And, and, the, and there wasn't any additional context there. And that could mean that HUD is um, looking to leverage the relationships it already has with, um, with housing providers and um, use alternative data to help people potentially qualify for mortgages. That would be really exciting. That's something that has, Congress has been wanting HUD to do and, and something that other parts of the government are also trying. That's been on the wish list of affordable housing advocates for many years as yes. well. You know, yes, a long time. Cell phone yeah. <laughs> yeah. bills and, and payments and right. Not everybody fits very neatly into the credit box. That doesn't mean they're not credit worthy. Right, right. That would be a way. Advocates have said that's that's a way to widen the credit box without actually widening it. You know, not not lowering um, lowering standards, just getting a more accurate picture of people with thin or or invisible or or unscorable uh, potential borrowers by using you know using um, alternative data, including rental history. So. Um, so that so that's something that HUD were to take action action on that. I think that would be um, that would be pretty notable. Maybe um, this signals that they are ready to do that. I hear from sources that on the policy and research side they are very interested in doing that. I, I think that that um, perhaps there's a, a missing link when it comes to leadership on doing something um, doing something like that. But remains to be seen. FHFA is still reviewing alternatives. Um, credit scoring models to see if if the GSEs could potentially use those, which would you know include things like rental data. So that would be really interesting. So HUD also said that in in their action plan, they also said that they're they want to do something about how um, the FHA program is perceived. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because it didn't it didn't give any specifics about how it might improve FHA's program and it seemed to, to look at it's a marketing problem yeah ex- 
Yeah, ex- exact, exactly. So, so if it's just if it's just like a marketing problem, you know, that might be FHA's perspective. But I think that there are some su- some some like substantive complaints about the program, and and you know, at least um, sellers have um, and and LOs have the um, have the perception that an FHA mortgage is there are going to be a few more hoops that might be slower. Um, I think FHA strongly disagrees with that assessment, but I just found, you know, that they're just that they're just looking at this purely as a question of um, perceived bias is really, really interesting. It says something about where where FHA is at. Right. As opposed to the actual problematic uh, points of, of lending. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a choice. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about one acronym you threw in there. The FHFA, uh, hard not to notice that they were not included. Why? Why is that? They were no longer in in the cabinet, or what's what's the explanation? Yeah, right. So, um, so they're not in the cabinet technically. Um, they're they are definitely not in the cabinet, and <laughs> and this is something that I went back and forth with um, with people a lot in the days following this announcement because people have a lot of different um, opinions on on what ex- what exactly the role of FHFA is in relation to you know how, how they relate to the administration. So they are not in the cabinet. However, as a result of the Supreme court case last year they're not they don't necessarily fit the profile of an independent regulator although they technically are an independent regulator with congressional oversight the white house can fire the head of fhfa at will and then we saw that happen um so it's so so then it's sort of this interesting dance where fhfa is a government agency, but they're not at the cabinet. They, they are not a political um, agency, kind of in the same way that HUD is, as far as their profile and um, and kind of their their public facing image. But you know, they oversee the um, they oversee Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which are the by all measures they are the primary engines of housing in the country. And so, from a regulatory standpoint. In some ways, it's not surprising that they were not in the racial equity plans. But from a pragmatic standpoint, it is very, um, very strange to see a plan about housing and not have any any participation or any um, even discussion about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which are not they are not government agencies, even though we sometimes say agency loans. They're not government agencies. They are um, they are companies that have a federal charter and are um, in conservatorship and are are regulated by the federal government. So it's a, it's a, I think it's also interesting that not only are, are they left out of the conversation entirely, but there are a lot of criticisms about whether Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are serving, you know, non-white homeowners at, or, or prospective uh, non-white homeowners at the rate that they should be. Right. So, um, so that, yeah, there, so there have been lots of calls for the GSEs to do more on, on, uh, the affordability end of things. And according to sources, the equitable housing finance plans, which were supposed to, or which were planned to be in place at the beginning of this year, and now it's end of April and, um, they are nowhere to be found. FHFA, Last I heard yesterday said that um, that they have no timeline for when they are going to be released. Um, however, sources say that um, that the 
racial um, equity action plans kind of set the stage for independent regulators and for um, the for the for FHFA and the GSEs to to present their part. And and um, I hear that in the next couple of weeks that we can expect the equitable housing finance plans to materialize. I'm a little bit skeptical of that because it's it's um, because I haven't heard any any of that from official sources and. Um, and because the the agency in charge of that process <laughs> can't provide any timeline, so um, so we shall see. But um. it's it's already late <laughs> April, you know, and this is something that everybody expected months ago. So it's uh yeah right uh, right. And there's and there's a question like even if they were say they were to come out tomorrow and um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac did their best to implement them. I mean, it's really hard to do something that would, um, you know, to, to make changes that would impact your business. Now it's, it's, it's April 20th. It's um, a, a good part of the year has gone out. So. Sure. And we're also looking at, you know, a more difficult uh, climate for, for people to operate in and, and, um, you know, being able to put policies in a place in a great environment in the fives looks a lot different than uh, than at the start of 2022 when they were still in the you know the upper threes. So it's uh that's right, and I don't think anyone expects that the equitable housing finance plans can you know can rebalance some of the dynamics in the housing market right now. It certainly certainly Fannie Mae and and Freddie Mac can can ha- can can impact and shape the market, but um but you know they 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 can't. They can't build housing. They're not. They're not in the business of of building new houses. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. They they are not home builders. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about Fannie Mae. So, lots of upheaval in Fannie Mae of late. Sheila Bear, who chaired the board of Fannie Mae, she is no longer going to be there. Hugh Frater, he was the CEO for for many years, and uh, another board member, Anthony Jenkins. They're all resigning. In just a few days, can you can you walk me through a little bit, Georgia, about what's what's been happening at Fannie Mae? Is there a bench? Um, where where are they going? What's what's happening with uh, with Fannie? Yeah, so um, so so big big change, big big um, uh, big upheaval at um, at Fannie Mae. Um, this was announced um, earlier this month, but yeah, the CEO and the and the chair of the board are are um, are both leaving May first. And Anthony Jenkins, another board member, is is also leaving that day. So it's really not clear why they've left. We don't know um, what could have caused them to leave besides what they what they said, which is that you know Hugh Frater said that he um, had originally agreed to stay for for three years, and and he did that, and um, and and his time is up, and um, and Fannie Mae is going to search for a permanent CEO. And um, Sheila Bear uh, cited, you know, that she wanted to um, wanted to to have to have more time, and and so we're not we're not sure what what is going on there. I will say it is it is interesting. There are a lot of things that are pending between Fannie Mae and FHFA. I I do think right now in this in this moment where we're kind of waiting for Sandra Thompson's confirmation when the Senate comes back into session, I think uh, a lot of observers do expect um, her confirmation to go through. But we're still waiting on the equitable housing finance plans. Um, you could imagine some dynamics where um, you know there's a there is a difference of philosophy. Um, I think I've 
heard from um, from sources that uh, say that Sheila Bear is very um, is very focused on on risk prevention, and that might not be totally in step with the current administration's priorities. It's hard to say. The other um, the other interesting dynamic there is that. Um, Sheila Bear and Sandra Thompson have a history together. They um, they overlapped at FDIC when uh, Sheila Bear was the chair of FDIC. And you know, as as one as one source said, they they're either going to get along or they don't. It's it's not it's not clear um, how well they got along at um, FDIC. And um, and and what their um, relationship uh, was like um, with uh, Sam- Sandra Thompson in, in this role, where um, they're really overseeing the board of um, of Fannie Mae. So it's a bit of a re- reversal. Before Sheila Bear was Sandra Thompson's boss, and now it, it, it was the other it was the other way around. I'm not sure what their relationship was like, but it it, it raises some questions. So who steps in now that Hugh Freighter is? is uh, departing on May 1st. So in the interim, um, Fannie Mae's president, David Benson, is going to be um, to be the CEO. But they are going to conduct a national search for a permanent CEO. I'm not sure how long he's going to be um, to be interim CEO. That's a good question. But yeah, he, he will be stepping in. And there have been other departures as well. I mean, certainly uh, we've we've written quite extensively about about all of the high-level uh, non-political um, departures at Fannie Mae. I believe Kimberly Johnson, the COO, stepped down uh, a few weeks back. Their director of risk recently also mm-hmm. yeah. left. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting moment. I wonder how much, I think it's not, it, I think the previous departures, there was sort of a wave leading up to 2020 and a lot of the previous departures there were criticisms that the salary levels are not in line with what um, with with what one could expect in the private sector, and it's sort of this this um, it was you know sort of a stifling working environment, and you know with no hope of getting out of the conservatorship um, arrangement when that hope for that kind of fizzled in 2020, um, you 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 saw people um, you saw people leaving. I don't know if the if the more recent departures are the are, uh, are are for the same reasons, I would think they are not because um, because those questions, the questions of conservatorship, the questions of of salary and and working environment, those those questions have been settled. And so, to me, this is um, this is maybe something different. And I think, yeah, I, I think there are still a lot of questions about um, about what's going on here. But um, but I think you have to look at it separate. From the previous waves at Fannie Mae, although you know it's it's not like salaries um, there have have changed, and so I think those dynamics are still present. But um, but yeah, I think I think it is somewhat separate. Yeah, and and it's also it's a very different environment, as I said before. There are no IMBs going public now, unless you think that Better.com is is actually going to go forward with the SPAC and go public. You know, but but I, I think a lot of the departures from Fannie Mae. You look at where they end up. They they went to non bank originators primarily, and and you know there are probably no golden uh, golden thrones right now at, at IMBs given given how they're doing. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to see where where everybody ends up. Yeah, that's right. That's right. 
I, I think it will it will also be interesting to see who um who they find for um for CEO but um but um but the um but the board member who they have found to replace um or who they have elected to to replace Sheila Bear one person told me is uh they said that, that Michael Hyde who um currently chairs this is interesting he currently chairs the Community Responsibility and Sustainability Committee. So he's the one who will um, who will replace Bear as chair of the board. It's interesting. Someone described him as not a person who is a is a risk avoider, um, and that might be kind of a, a bit of a jab at um, at Sheila Bear, who was um, chair of the board, you know, under under Mark Calabria. So. Yeah, it it will be interesting to see how the um, reshuffling turns out, where these people end up in the private sector. Surely there are lots of perches where they would be welcomed um, and who Fannie Mae ultimately finds to be their uh, permanent CEO. All right. Well, thank you so much, Georgia, for lending us your expertise on on, uh, the Fed beat. That's going to do it for us. Thanks, everybody. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW+, membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.